want the wisdom of God. So, Lord, we ask that you would bring that light, that word alive to us today, not only in our ears, but in our spirit as well. And everybody says, hallelujah. Let's just turn, who's got their Bibles with them? Turn your Bible to the book of Genesis chapter 2. Pastor Mike, when he um, first started this series, I think there's a whole lot of short straws, a whole lot of straws and there's one really short one. And I'm I'm not sure what happened, but I got stuck with it. You know, you might say, what would you know about dating? I mean, I've been married for 28 years, but trust me, I've got three daughters. You need to be informed. You need to know what's going on. You need to know the do's and the don'ts and all those things that you need to know about dating. Um, You need to know the pitfalls, the temptations, and most of all, you need to uh, be able to present a biblical viewpoint to your little precious daughters so that their hearts won't get trodden on. So let's just go to the book of Genesis, chapter 2. Verse 18 says this. The the Lord God said, It is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable to him. Now the Lord had formed... Sorry. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the beasts of the fields and all the birds of the air. He brought them uh, to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds of the air, and the beasts of the field. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was asleep, he took one of the man's ribs, closed up his flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman out of the ribs he had taken out of the man and brought her to the man. Then the man said, this is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman. For she was taken out of man. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they shall become one. The man and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. This is the account of the first date in history. Adam is sitting there, and he's, uh, you know, he's pretty happy. He's got God with him. He's, he's pretty content. But there's just something missing. For all of us, there's a connection point that we feel when when God unites us with the woman or man that we are meant to be with. And for Adam, that was missing. He uh, went around and named all the animals. My favorite animal, by the way, is an elephant. I love elephants. I I think elephants are the greatest animals in the world. They're they're beautiful, they're majestic, they're strong. They've got this really big funny thing at the front. I love them. But Adam sat there and he had to name them all. And in, amongst naming all those animals, there was no, nothing or no one that brought companionship to him. So what, did, what God did, as we read, is he created woman. And that was the very first date. The sun was out, the birds were singing, the flowers were in the air, the smell of pollen, everything was fabulous, the world was great. And God looked down at the world and he said, it is very good. Now the first part of that passage we read where God said, it is not good. For man to be alone. But when there was this combination together of man and woman, God looks down and this is the only point of history where he declares it is very good. And that is the ultimate presence of God with man and woman together. One flesh, one people worshipping their God. So what I want to do today is I want to take a biblical look at dating. Now there's no clear set rule. If you could just trip, flick to chapter and verse and saying dating is this, it would be easy, wouldn't it? Unfortunately for uh, me as a parent, that doesn't exist. And unfortunately for the young people here that are dating, it doesn't exist. And unfortunately for me as a grandparent, it doesn't exist either. 
I've got a little 18-month-old daughter. She is uh, granddaughter, granddaughter, and she is uh, the treasure of my heart. And I've got another one on the way. Praise God. It's going to be great. But she's only 18 months old, and I already fear that some mug is going to break her heart. And that's the fear of every father, isn't it? It is. You don't want your little girls to have a broken heart. I've got some rules that I, sh- I shared with David. I haven't shared these with Jason yet, so Jason, this is your chance. These are my rules for dating my daughter. If you pull into my driveway and honk your horn, you better be delivering something because you're certainly not picking anything up. <laughs> Rule number one. Rule number two. You do not touch my daughter in front of me. You may glance at her as long as it's from the neck up. If you cannot keep your eyes off her, or hands off her, I will personally remove them from you. Rule number three. I'm aware that it's considered fashionable for young boys of your age to wear their trousers so loosely that they appear to be falling off the hip. Please don't take this as an insult. But you and all your friends are complete idiots. Still, I want to be fair and open-minded about this issue, so I propose a compromise. You may come to the door with your underwear showing and your pants ten sizes too big, as long as you do not object when I nail gun them to you. <laughs> Rule number four. I'm sure you've been told that today, in today's world, that sex without utilizing a barrier method of some kind can kill you. Well, guess what, buddy? I'm that barrier and I will kill you. <laughs> Rule five. It's usually understood in order to get uh, to know each other, you and me. We should talk about sports, politics, and other issues of the day. Please don't do this. The only information I require from you is an indication of when you expect to have my daughter safely back at my house. And the only word I want to hear about that is early. Rule number six, there's only a few more. I have no doubt that you're a popular fella and many opportunities to date other girls. This is not acceptable. Once you have gone out with my little girl, you will continue to date her no matter what. If you make her cry, I will make you cry. Rule seven is you stand in the front hallway waiting for my daughter to appear. If it takes longer than an hour, I don't want you to sigh. I don't want you to fidget. If you want to be in time to go see a movie, then go with your mates. My daughter is putting on a makeup, a process that takes longer than painting the Sistine Chapel. Instead of just standing there, why don't you do something useful? Mow the grass, change oil in the car. <laughs> Rule number eight. The following places are not appropriate for a date with my daughter. Places where there are beds. Places where there's sofas. Places where there's any form of darkness. Places where there's dancing, holding hands, or happiness of any sort. Places where the ambient temperature is warm. I was warm enough to induce my daughter to wear shorts, tank tops, midriff t-shirts, or anything other than overalls and a sweater, are no good. <laughs> Movies with a strong romantic or sexual theme are avoided at all costs. However, movies with chainsaws are okay. If you want to take her to a hockey game, that's okay too. Rule number nine, only two left. Do not lie to me. I may appear to be a pot-bellied, baldy, middle-aged, dimwit, has been. But on issues relating to my daughter, I'm the all-knowing, all-seeing eye of Mordor. <laughs> if I ask you where you're going, 
and with whom you have one chance and only one chance to tell me the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth. I have a shotgun, a shovel, five acres at the back of Bedford. Don't trifle with me. The final one, be afraid, be very afraid. Take very little. Uh, it takes very little for me to mistake you, your sound, of your car coming up to my driveway for a chopper coming over a rice field in Hanoi. When my age in orange starts sacked up, the voices in my head frequently tell me to clean my gun as I wait for you to bring my daughter home. As soon as you pull in the driveway, you should exit the car, put your hands up in plain sight, speak the permitted password, announce in a clear voice that you brought my daughter home safely and early, then return to your car. There is no need for you to come inside the house. By the way, the camouflaged face in the, mirror, in the window is mine. Wouldn't it be easy if it was that easy? Wouldn't it be good if it was that easy? It would. The way you laugh is the way Dave laughed when I told him too. <laughs> I did try and uh, put a, suck my stomach in and put my best, best manly voice on when I said it, but it did get laughed at. The sad truth is that dating is complex. Relationships even more so. It is very, very difficult. Very difficult very difficult to have a meaningful relationship with anyone and there's reasons for that and we're going to talk about that this morning now i don't want to uh it's, it's a funny thing to preach about dating i've never heard a sermon about dating so i want you to use your imagination this is more like a, a pastoral visit okay just pretend you're at your home i've come to visit you you're in your sofa we've both got a warm cup of coffee and that way i can say things that you won't say well we shouldn't have said that in church because we're in your house, okay? So you just got to imagine that. Because I'm going to challenge you this morning. I'm going to challenge you, and I'm going to be pretty uh, straightforward. So I want you to relax, take it easy, and just think about something else while I talk. No, 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 seriously. Think about what I'm saying. So what is dating? Well, let me narrow it down a bit. What is Christian dating? Is there any such thing? Sometimes a difficult subject Sometimes a simple idea, sorry, can provide difficulty to, to defining it. At least difficult to define it in a way that we agree. Like Christian dating, for example, there are, there are no biblical texts that say, Thou goeth on a date, thou shalt stay one meter apart at all times. I mean, we have clear texts to say these things. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. Honor our parents. Love our neighbors as ourselves. We should not let the sun go down in an argument. They're easy ones. And they help us in our quest and our journey as we date and as we children date and our grandchildren date. Yet there is no real verse or text that talks about Christian dating. So what we need to do is we need to look for a biblical truth that supports the idea. That's difficult because we've all got different beliefs and different understandings, different worldviews about certain texts. Let us start, for example, with a biblical text truth that is seemingly simple. It's a biblical truth and it's this. God's people are to live in the world but not be part of it. It's a very simple concept. And as Christians, that's the way we should live our lives. We are in the world, but we should not be part of it. There is a separation that happens as Christians. The minute you're born again, you are no longer part of this world, but part of what we call the diaspora, the children of God that are waiting for a better place. Just like Moses and the children of Israel when they wandered around the desert looking for the promised land, that's what we start to look for, that promised land. That city on a hill, heaven, is what we want and what we wait for. But we're trapped in this world. 
there is a, a tension, if you want, between where we are and where we want to be. And it's the same with morals. There's a tension. The world accepts one thing. We should accept another. We should not conform to the world. And especially in dating, we should not conform to the world. If you go, um, if you watch any dating shows on television, I mean, it is just, I, I never watch them because they're just horrific what they do. And the sad truth is, some of us have experienced that because our children are experiencing it. And it's not where we want to be and it's not where we want our children to be or our grandchildren to be. We want our children, our grandchildren, ourselves to be holy as God is holy. We're just saying that song, You Are Holy, Lord. And the Bible calls us to be holy as God is holy. And that's a challenge in itself. But what I want to do is I want to take a, a good look at what that means to live in the world and be part of it. But we, diff, we differ so sharply in questions of faith. You could believe that it's okay to watch an R-rated movie. You could believe it's okay to read Harry Potter. You can believe it's okay to send your kids to private or public school, homeschool. You could like rap music. You could like country music. You could vote for wrong political parties. You could never miss an episode of Desperate Housewives. You could drive a four-wheel drive. You could even swear. And you would consider yourself a Christian, but other people wouldn't. When I was at Bible college, we had some people, and we had one of it. wasn't It wasn't me, praise the Lord. We had one guy... Um, we used to work every Thursday around the college to do the place-ups. And we had one young guy say the word fast. And there was a number of uh, Bible college students that were um, part of the leadership of the school, of the students, and they wanted to throw this guy out of college because he said fast. Because it was unacceptable. It was, in their eyes, it was a swear word. Now, we can differ so much on these things, but one thing we can't differ on is the principle behind these things. I've been, I've, all those different items that I wrote down, I've actually heard people say, people read Harry Potter, how can I be saved? People that send their kids to public schools, how can I be saved? People listen to rap music, how can I be saved? I've heard all that stuff. That's why I put them on there as a list. There's a challenge to every generation of Christianity. In this specific issue, which is dating, there tends to be shifts across time and across generations. A couple of generations ago, as a Christian, you would never go to the movies. And this goes back to the principle of being part of the world, but not of the world. As a Christian, two generations ago, if you went to the movies, you were looked down upon. And the reason why no one ever went to the movies was because there was a fear that if Jesus returned while you were in the picture theater, you would not be taken to heaven. You'd miss out. You'd go out and all your family and friends would be up in heaven and Jesus would have come back, the trumpet would have sounded and you would have all gone, they would have all gone. But because you were in the picture theatre, you were left behind. And that was, how many people know that that's the way they used to talk? And we look at it these days and we think, that's strange. In our era of history, where is the line in the sand? Because there has to be a line in the sand especially with dating. We can't date like the world. But unfortunately, we're in the world. So our kids, us, our grandkids, have pressures on them, pressures of them to conform to the world. And it's difficult and it's hard. So what about Christian dating? Where's the line in the sand? I know it's a difficult topic. 
and it's not just a pimply teenaged kid. There's a Christian wave dating site that I looked up yesterday. They've got over 5,000 members. The youngest one's 18. The oldest one is 78 years old. So what does Christian dating look like? Where's the line in the sand that helps us live in a world but separate ourselves to God when it comes to dating? Because in the end, that is what being Christian is all about. Us separating ourselves for God. Temptations and troubles and being able to honour what God wants us to do. For me, dating is easy. My experience, this is my experience, I asked my wife to go to the dance. She asked me to go to church. I went to church and got saved. It's a very simple process. So for me, it was great. It was easy, you know. But for other people, it's very difficult, and I understand that. Generally, one of the hardest things in the world is to build real friendships, let alone to fall in love. Because let us be truthful, to make relationships work, you have to put other people first. You have to put them first. Sounds a bit like Ephesians 5, 21 to 33. If you don't know what it is, look it up later. But that passage of Scripture is all about putting other people first. I believe that in our area of history, relationships are harder than ever. We have people of all ages looking for a significant other to share their lives with. Some are young and some are old. But what they have is similar, is they're all looking for a relationship that brings them love, and that's tough. Especially today because it's so easy to live on the surface. You can Twitter, you can Facebook, you can do all those things. You can have millions of followers. But the people will only know you on a surface level. They will only know what you say and the pictures you put on the internet. We're connected more than ever, but we're lonelier than ever as well. And that's what our kids have to suffer with. It, it, it is incredible that the world's come to what it has. We are one village, but yet we're individuals. You can be anywhere in the world and jump on the internet and look up someone's Facebook. But all that Facebook will tell you is what they want you to know. And that's very sad. There is a coming together between a man and a woman in a relationship. And, and that's what relation, that's what dating's all about. It's about going that next step to that relationship. And there's a coming together where they become one flesh. And the sad thing is, the sad thing is, that we live on the surface so much in our day and our world. A lot of Christians are talking, attending the Christian dating circles because that's the only way they can really meet people. You know, you can't go to a pub and meet people. You can't go to a disco and meet people. Do they have discos anymore? I don't know. They don't have them anymore? Nightclubs. You know, as Christians, that's not an option for us. So a lot of people, and, and let's face it, you can't really date anyone you've been going to church with since you were six years old. They're like your brother or your sister. You know, that's just strange. You know, it makes it difficult. It is hard. But in God, all things are possible, amen? There's a dating site called Adam Ieva. It's a Christian dating site. As I said, there's three, there's 5,000 members. The, uh, in 2003, the first one joined. The last one joined at 3.30 yesterday afternoon. I didn't go onto the site. I just looked up the statistics about the site. Interestingly, 74% of all members are female. That's interesting. 
And the ages range, as I said, from 17 to, it's from 18 to 76. I actually know a couple of people that met, a couple of couples that met via this um, system. One of them is going well and they're doing okay. They're uh, strange people, so it worked well for them. <laughs> Another couple, they um, got married and they lasted a few short years and they realized more about each other than they ever did before and it didn't last. Because again, you sit and you do your profile and you can write anything in there. No one's going to check it. No one's going to make sure it's true. There's another website that scared me. They claim that what Christians should do is date for evangelism. It was called Flirt to Convert. That's their selling tag. And what they want, this is what they said, what they want is hot Christian women to flirt with heathen men to fulfill the Great Commission. I certainly believe that this crosses the line in the sand. I certainly believe it. They even tried to justify what they're doing by using the scripture. Romans 12, 1, which says this. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies, and they put hot there, as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. They say that the hot bodies are a gift from God, full of the Holy Spirit, and able to convert the heathen male. It is interesting that they do not cite the very next verse. Do not confirm any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing and perfect will. They didn't, they didn't mention that part. This is certainly not Christian dating in any way, shape or form. So let's go back and build a theological foundation of what dating is. What it should be as a Christian. The concept a Christian concept, not a concept of the world. The concept begins, the concept of being in the world and not part of it goes back to something Jesus said. And that's where we want to start. Because as, Christian, as Christians, we want to make sure that whatever we do, however we live our lives, bring glory to God. That's what we want to do. So what we need to do is we need to live in the world but not be part of it. The way the world dates is not the way we date. Nor our children, nor our children's children. We do it according to God's principles and God's standards. The idea of living in the world but not part of it comes from a prayer that Jesus prayed. And it's found in John 17, 15, 16. My prayer is that you, take them, that you do not take them out of this world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are of the world. They're not of the world even as though I'm not of it. Now, it's interesting when Jesus prayed this. He prayed this just before he was going to be killed. When he was in the garden before they took him away, that was his prayer. He prayed that for you and me. He was anguished. He shed, shed tears of blood. He anguished over us. He anguished over what was to happen. And the most foremost thing on his mind was, I have to leave my children here in this world, but they are not part of it. Protect them. The same as I'm not of this world, neither are they. To him, that was the foremost thing in his heart and his mind. How we understand Jesus' prayer has a profound impact on our lives. Loving the world and loving God are not mutually inclusive. In fact, you cannot love the world and love God. It is either one or the other. Now, that might say, seem harsh, but thank God we're on our comfortable sofas in your house drinking coffee. <laughs> because as a pastor, I really shouldn't say that across the pulpit these days. We cannot be part of the world. We must be separated out. It's pure and it's simple. It's in the Bible. 
Let's read 1 John 2.15. Do not love the world or anything in the world, he writes. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. And the author of Romans warns us to refuse being pressed into the mold of the world so as to separate us, as we read earlier. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and prove God's will. God's will for you is to have a partner that you can live your life with. But only, only after you've separated yourself from the world can you have peace. Only after you've separated from the world can that truly happen. Since the stakes are so high, it would be wise for us to think over these matters very carefully and to do what we need to do according to Scripture. We need to draw a line in the sand and commit ourselves to never, ever, ever crossing it, not only for us, but for our kids and our children's children. The way I see the drawing in in the line of the sand is the way uh, Joshua did it. This is probably my favorite passage of Scripture. Joshua has uh, gone in the promised land. He's conquered all before him. And he's going to die. He knows he's going to die. And he gets the children of Israel around him. And this is what he says to them. You know, he, he knows this is his last chance to talk to them. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods your forefathers served beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. He drew a line in the sand. He said, we will serve the Lord. And in our lives, in what we do and how we live, we need to draw a similar line. We need to say that no matter what, my God's holy, I will be holy. No matter what, I am going to live according to God's principles and God's purposes for my life. Now, you might make a mistake and you might do something foolish and you might sin, but there's always forgiveness in God. But you can't make it your lifestyle. You can't just keep on sinning and sinning and sinning and sinning and sinning, doing the same thing over and over again. What you need to do is change. What we need to do is change. We need to draw a line in the sand and say, from now on, I'm not crossing that line. I'm not going there anymore. In Christian dating, that's even more important. We need to draw a line and we need to say, we are going to be holy as God is holy. We are going to be in this world but not part of this world. I've got some guidelines. I'm just going to run through them very quick. There's a number of them. And these are simple biblical guidelines for dating. The first one, when I say first one, Develop a relationship that will keep your Christian image intact, Galatians 5, 19 to 23. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious, sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, decision, facts, envy, drunkenness, orgy, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruits of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, happiness, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against... These things, or such things, there is no law. Guideline number two, always use God's word as the basis for doing everything. Psalm 119, 105 to 106 says this, Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a path unto my life. I have taken an oath and confirmed it, that I will follow your righteous laws. Again, this is putting the line in the sand. I am going to do this from now on. The next, guideline number three, go on group dates to avoid tempting situations. Ecclesiastes 4. 9 to 10 says this, two are better than one because they, are, they have a good return for their work. If one falls down, his friends can help him up. But pity the man who falls down and has no one to help him. If you 
going to go out on dates, you should go out with couples if you can because that is safety in numbers. Guideline number four, engage in personal activities that reveal and strengthen your inner personal qualities. 1 Peter 3, 4 says this. Instead, it should be that, uh, that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is, great, which is of great worth in the sights of God. In Ephesians 3.16, I pray that out of his glorious riches you may be strengthened um, your power through the spirit in your inner being. Guideline number five, don't do missionary dating. That is dating a non-believer with the hope that they can convert. 2 Corinthians 6.14.16 says, Do not yoke yourself with unbelievers. For what does righteousness and wickedness have in common? Or what fellowship can light have with darkness? What harmony is there between Christ and Bilal? What does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? What agreement is there between the temple of God and idols? For we are the temple of the living God. We are that temple. So if we're that temple, what on earth can we have to do with those that aren't? When it comes to Christian dating and living out Jesus' prayer about being in the world, it's a huge challenge. Because the fact is that we live in a fallen world. Therefore, it's imperative that we draw this line in the sand that I've talked about. Now, in our lives, there's always the possibility that we will stumble, like I said before. We can fall over that line. But as long as we repent, change our ways, God is with us. The world can be a scary place. And we dare not get swept into it. We cannot, however, be aloof. Reality is that we're in it. What we must do is separate ourselves. While being still in the world, we can't be part of the world. And in contrast to a list of forbidden worldly things and withdrawing completely from the world, we are required to walk by faith in all humility and to live our lives as the redeemed children of God. And we are to be holy as he is holy. This week, you always got to give it this week. You've got to tell some people to do things. This week, what I want you to do is put those guidelines into place in your life. Whether you're dating, whether you've got children that are dating, whether you're grandchildren dating, put those guidelines in your life. We are in this world, but we're not part of it. Relationships, like I said earlier, are the hardest things in the world. Because when it comes down to us, there's still a little bit of selfiness that wants to be number one. And we want to be heard and we want to be lifted up and we want to be loved. But how ultimate example of what it means to be a man or woman of God is Jesus. Philippians 2, you read that he gave up everything to come down to earth. That he considered himself nothing, that we may have everything. So what I want to do this morning is I just want to pray. Um, We'll get the musicians to come up. We'll get them to sing a happy song after I go down. And then um, everyone's going to golf from my understanding. So let's get the musos up. Let's pray. Lord, we just thank you, Lord, that you are the one true God of heaven and earth. Lord, we thank you that your word is full of principles that we can follow, Lord, to lead us into all righteousness. And we thank you, Lord, that it is not by strength or power that we live, Lord, but it's by your spirit. So, Lord, this morning we just thank you for what you've done, Lord. But, Lord, we look forward to what you're going to do, Lord. We ask that you would establish in our lives those lines in the sand that we would not cross over, Lord. Lord, for those that are parents, Lord, we ask that you would help us establish those lines 
in the lives of our children, Lord. And for those of us that are grandparents, Lord, give us the privilege of doing that for our grandchildren. Lord, let us be the examples of what it means to be a man or woman of God. Let us be the example to others of what it means to be someone that truly loves you. Lord, I thank you and I praise you and I worship you. In Jesus' name, amen.